These four words sparked the endless and dedicated fandom towards the beloved character SpongeBob SquarePants. Since its first airing in 1999, SpongeBob has been a staple of the childhoods of millions of children across the world. Today we'll be covering the history of the SpongeBob fandom, its current popularity, and what is still canon today. SpongeBob, a good place to start would be the history behind it. What a better place to start there than the show's creator, Steven Hillenburg. Now, if you didn't know, Steve Hillenburg began studying the ocean at a very, very young age. Like, he was obsessed with the ocean. He absolutely loved every bit of it. And um, later on in his life, naturally, he decided to study marine biology whilst already studying to be an artist. So quite a multifaceted man, if I do say so myself. Now, he later left the Ocean Institute to stop studying marine biology to, you know, like, go into an art program so he could start to become an artist because he was very interested in drawing that specific marine biology. Now, if you don't know where we're going with this, I feel sorry for you. I mean, it's quite obvious where we're going with this, so <laughs> it's, it's your own fault if you can't keep up. Here. Yeah, all right. So, he participated in a specific animation festival later on in his life, and now this man named Joe Murray walked up to him and was like, man, this looks great! And, like, and he hired him on spot. Now, if you don't know, Joe Murray was the creator of Rocco's Modern Life, which was one of the best shows on Nickelodeon at the time. I'm gonna say something controversial here, I've actually never seen Rocco's Modern Life. Neither, well, I have seen it. I'm just not the biggest fan of it, so I didn't continue to watch it. I really should give it a try at some point. It's, it's one of those shows that I just sort of never got around to seeing. Yeah. Well, getting back on track, the director of the fourth season, Mr. Stevie H., uh, with his own side project, he began to sort of develop his own character that he decided to call uh, Bob the Sponge, or if you're speaking Spanish, a Bob Esponja. <laughs> Now, Bob the Sponge was not a finalized product, it was literally just a thing he was working on in his free time, and he ended up thinking to himself, like, hey, I can totally market this towards the higher-ups in Nickelodeon, and he did. Yeah, he, he started working with a just a malformed sea sponge, and eventually this metamorphosized into the scotch bright pal we all know and love. Yeah, and so the reason that he did not do the, the blob form type of the sea sponge is because it looked really gross in shape and it just didn't resemble a sponge at all and he yeah, felt off-putting, off-putting. yeah and he felt like the sponge would not resonate with the children as a sponge and <laughs> yeah, he, so he decided to change the name like several times eventually setting selling on sponge boy with no last name provided so he was going to go with the title of sponge boy ahoy now he would have aired it with this until Nickelodeon's legal team said, hey, yo, Steve, this is, this is the name of a mop product. You can't use this. We're going to get sued. And he just he still wanted to make it clear that he was a sponge and not you know, some piece of Swiss cheese. So he decided to keep sponge in the name somehow, eventually settling on SpongeBob. Yeah. And so SpongeBob never had a last name. There was never an idea to give him a last name. It was just how it was going to roll. It just, just, just wasn't in their priorities. And so 
SpongeBob's character is actually based off the voice actor himself. The way that he behaved, the way that he acted, was based off of the voice actor Tom Kenny. Even the last name. Yeah, it was so sorry. You go, you go for it. Tom Kenny made a remark to Steve saying, "Man, he has some square pants." Because the design for SpongeBob was a square dish sponge, who wore square pants, and so Steve decided to roll with it. Yeah, it just stuck, and it just was SpongeBob square pants. Now, shortly after SpongeBob started airing in 1999, the show quickly rose to the top. It overtook Pokemon, which was the highest, like, rate not r- rated. But most viewed, viewed yeah. yeah, most viewed show on TV, and that was outstanding. And it was very quickly like the number one Saturday morning cartoon. Quite the achievement, if you think of Saturday mornings. That was for decades, the time when all the cartoons would air. Children would voluntarily get up early just to watch them instead of going to the school that they normally would throughout the rest of the year. Even in summer, Saturday morning cartoons were the prime time spot. And to think that within just months, not even months, the first month, so we're talking like less than a few weeks, this show rose to the very top. It was destined for greatness. Now, the show held an average rating of 4.9 out of 5 for all children who aged through 2 to 11. denoting 1.9 million viewers within its first month. That's it's quite the achievement. And even by the end of 2001, it boasted the highest ratings of any children's TV series, just any of them. Weekly viewership around 15 million and it only started to decline in ratings on 2012, and that's just because of streaming. Now, The reasoning behind this is streaming platforms such as Netflix like started to be on like the major rise in 2012 and everybody started to revert from cable to online streaming platforms. Now if you didn't know SpongeBob was actually briefly on Netflix and emphasis on the brief part of it and it was just removed next year because the parent company Viacom their deal with Netflix expired. And in 2013, Amazon offered 200 million dollars for Viacom, and that was the largest subscription streaming transaction ever. And they obviously accepted. I mean, it's 200 million dollars. Yeah, like no matter how big of a company you are, unless you're Amazon, of course. Gee, I, I wonder why they offered that money. <laughs> yeah, especially when it's one of the biggest shows on television. But yeah, it's just a no-brainer. Seriously. So, I don't know about you, but my favorite part about SpongeBob is that it's entirely appropriate for all ages. It's humorous for children there's episodes where it teaches you how to tie your shoes and then there's other episodes about existential crisis and having to work for a statistic boss who only cares about money that sounded personal is it was it uh, n- surprisingly uh, maybe so moving on <laughs> um and spongebob spongebob the character is just like most most adults 
He has a dead-end job, working for a greedy and considerate boss. Again, I promise it's not personal. Uh, <laughs> it sounds like it. He has an annoying neighbor and co-worker who despises him, yet he is one of the most optimistic characters in pop culture history. Well, I mean, part of that can be just placed down to SpongeBob's personality. Yeah, he is optimistic, but he's also not the brightest sponge in the sponge box. Yeah, exactly, because <laughs> in his square pants. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, exactly. So, SpongeBob, in and of himself, is a child. He resembles, resembles, resembles childlike wonder. Yeah. <laughs> he exemplifies it. Yeah. So, he has no, like, what's what's the word I'm looking age for? Age group. There's no specific age group that he falls into. Not not quite age group. It's, he appeals to children. He appeals to teenagers. He appeals to adults. It's just one of those things that sort of happens. You can't really create a phenomenon like this when you're trying so hard to. Yeah. And so, again, going back to the idea that SpongeBob is relatable to both adults and children... Maybe you are a cynical adult who's seen the cruelty of the world and is sick of it. Or, again, maybe you're a kid who genuinely loves things like Spongebob and the phenomenon of underwater sea creatures communicating yeah, with one Yeah, there's always something that you can relate to with this. And speaking of underwater sea creatures communicating, we'll, we'll get back to that in a later part of this when we go on to talk about the, can, uh, the canonical elements of Spongebob and what may or may not be happening behind yeah, the scenes. Yes, exactly. I'm very excited to nerd out. We're getting back on track. Yes. Um, at, one, at one point, SpongeBob becomes Squidward's maid when he quits his job and and moves in with SpongeBob. And that's this is SpongeBob's own house, and it takes so long that the narrator himself ended up quitting, and they had to hire a new one. And, like, that, going back to relatability, Spongebob has to deal with his neighbor being this, like, intrusive guest who is, like, he is entirely accepting at first. More on that later. <laughs> and then, late, like, later on, he's just starts to get really irritating. Perhaps you know somebody like that. I can say I definitely <laughs> Yeah. And so, like, like... Stemming off of that, not only are there parts of Spongebob where you deal with really, like, really dramatic real-life situations, such as midlife crisis or having to deal with a really irritating friend. Again, not personal. It really sounds like it. The storytelling is just really imaginative, creative, and it's always trying to be something new. And it really tries to avoid falling into the same, like, episode. Like, the same story every single episode. It's it's really f fascinating to me. Well, enough about early Spongebob. Let's continue on to modern Spongebob. Oh, dear. So, it was one of the wildest, ins most insane shows. I mean, there was the Alaskan Bullworm. Everyone remembers the Alaskan Bullworm. Yeah, That exactly. was perhaps one of the most iconic episodes. And then there was that episode where, like, Squidward goes to space and time travels. Or there was also the episode where Squidward gets sick of living next to SpongeBob. He hates him so much he decides to move out. And then that leads into 
him moving in with the rest of the squids in their gated community. And he loves it at first. He's absolutely thrilled with it. They have his canned bread. (laughs) And he eventually gets bored. There's, it's perfect. Everything there is perfect, but he gets bored of the perfection. And he realizes what was missing. Bob Esponja. Hey, Bob Esponja, yeah. Bob Esponja was missing. And he goes back to living next to Spongebob, back to his old Easter Island head. And you don't really see some stuff like this in the more modern episodes of Spongebob. You do. It's still there. But to a lesser degree. Everything after the the last SpongeBob movie, SpongeBob Out of Water, the like everything like shortly before that and everything after that has kind of lost the touch of Steve Hillenburg after his death. It was it was really traumatic for a lot of people. Yeah, rest in peace. <laughs> but the reason audiences come back year after year is because of SpongeBob himself. Despite being a sponge living in a pineapple under the sea, Spongebob personifies what we all hoped we could be as adults, and the best of what we can still be. After 20 years, Spongebob brings us happiness and reminds us that we can achieve the same happiness in our lives. And speaking of what Spongebob symbolizes and all that fun stuff, that's a perfect lead-in to our next segment, the canon of Spongebob. So, starting off with the canon of Spongebob. Now, there's, all, there's of course the stuff everyone knows. He's a sponge with some square pants that lives in a pineapple under the sea in Bikini Bottom and goes on all sorts of wacky hijinks with his idiot neighbor, with his boss, with the ghost that haunts the area near where his boss lives, with the health inspector, with the Texan, for some reason, who lives nearby. And that omnipotent dolphin that already knows when you're going to swear and it knows exactly when to take its dive. Yeah, exactly. Which is why we're not going to do it here, because we will not be pawns to his game of fourth dimensional chess. Exactly. So this is where the fun begins. We get to talk about the canon elements of Spongebob that are never explored in the show. So where should we start? So the first thing I'd like to point out is that through several parts of the series, you get to see brief snippets of the character's driver's licenses. It gives you plenty of information ah, about licenses. Gives you plenty of information about the characters, such as their address, their full name, the style of driver's license, and all that. So starting off with the man himself, Bob Esponja, we we are able to glean some information from his driver's license. He's his name is SpongeBob SquarePants. Lives on 124 Conk Street in Bikini Bottom. He's male with yellow hair, blue eyes, and his height is 0.04 feet, so no feet, four inches, and he weighs one ounce. So the first thing I'd like to derive from this is the fact that his address is 124 Con Street. Now, looking at another friend's driver's license, his neighbor Patrick Starr lives on 120 Con Street. Not quite where I was going, but good enough. Squidward's driver's license 
shares the exact same address as SpongeBob's driver's license. And now, here's where the fun really begins. We can go on to theorize. In fact, a buddy of mine even theorizes that since SpongeBob's house fell into the ocean from, uh, I believe it was a sailor or a fisherman. It was above, a sailor. Yeah. yeah. He dropped his pineapple, and that later became SpongeBob's house. What was where the pineapple landed? Squidward's garden. Now, Squidward having the address of 124 still doesn't make much sense. I mean, they are on the same side of the street, but surely there should be a 122. My own personal theory is that there used to be a lot more houses here. There was a 122, even a 198. There was a whole bunch of houses on Conk Street. Now, later these houses got demolished, and that's why we don't see all the vegetation. You know, Jellyfish Fields has a lot of vegetation, but no, it's just straight sand. Swidward uh, took the opportunity. Um, His friend, his neighbor, moved out, and he decided, you know, I'm going to plant my garden here. He was growing all sorts of stuff. He's growing food for himself, some nice flowers. And then SpongeBob lands on his garden, destroying it. Well, uh, as a point of clarification, SpongeBob was on that street specifically that day looking for a house to buy. He was moving out of his parents' house. If you've ever seen the episode, you know I'm talking about this. Um, He's looking for a house to buy, and he's super upset that he can't find a house next to his friend. And out of nowhere, this pineapple falls onto Squidward's garden. And magically, it is fully furnished. He falls in love. He falls in love with this pineapple, and he's like, yeah, I get to have this pineapple. (laughs) And he moves in. Now, since this is on Squidward's garden, it's still on Squidward's property. Which means that not only has SpongeBob inadvertently um, sort of accepted the thing that destroyed Squidward's you know, pride and joy, he's also been squatting without paying rent for 20-odd years. And again, this is all just a theory as to what the canon is. None of this has been actually verified, and so therefore not canon, technically. Unfortunately, it will never be able to be verified because, again, rest in peace, Stephen Hillenburg. Yeah. And so, also driving from our bikini bottomers driver's licenses... In season one and two, Mr. Krabs' name on his driver's license is written down as Mr. and Krabs. Now, from what we can see later on in the series, his driver's license now says Eugene Krabs, meaning there are either two Mr. Krabses in Bikini Bottom or that he got his name legally changed within season one. One and two, the, and the rest of the series. The, the address on his license also changes from, I believe, from Anchor Way to Anchor Street. Yeah, and with a different number from what I can remember, but we don't have the picture up I right mean, now. That's that's obviously going to be a factor no matter where you move to. You're never gonna, if I live on 777 West Street Street, and I move to, like, say, North Lincoln Way... I'm not going to live on 777 again unless I specifically go out and buy that house. And if I'm buying a house, that's not going to be a factor. Yeah, it'd be a pure coincidence. So, we also get to see that with the health inspector... Actually, I don't think that is the health inspector. That's Mr. what's it to you? Yeah. A separate individual. He lives on 150 Shell Street, Bikini Bottom. But they And they all have a Class S driver's license, which begs the question... 
what other classes of license are there? Now, speculation, depending on what kind of boat you drive, will affect the class of your license. Well, same way it would with cars. Yeah. Now, we never actually really see anyone driving any other boat aside from the usual speedboat type. Or the trucks. Yeah, the trucks. But those are just sort of there. We never really see anyone, like, get out and hand their license off. You don't need a license to drive a sandwich. I mean, or a rock. Or a rock. Which, or or the country of Iraq. Yeah. Which is why SpongeBob <laughs> was able to drive the rock when delivering his uh, crusty crab pizza. Which, by the way, is the pizza for you and me. Well, of course. I'm kind of hungry. Which good pizza. <laughs> um, after us, of course. Yeah, exactly. But um, moving on to the, to the rest of the SpongeBob canon. Yes, absolutely. There's another episode of SpongeBob where Plankton ends up actually getting the secret formula to the Krabby Patty. And on the first page, it says Plankton. Now, we never get any actual clarification as to whether or not the Krusty Krab uses Plankton in their burgers because it just trails off into Mr. Krabs going into maniacal laughter. It doesn't say that he uses it or not he may have been joking it never actually specifies whether or not these fish are being subjected to eating it never specifies actually whether or not there is a secret formula it could this could all have just been mr krabs and this is i believe at the time of him saying mr was this eugene krabs this was eugene krabs not mr krabs this could have been one eugene krabs pulling the longest running practical joke on plankton in the history of mankind probably (laughs) so moving a little bit on we get to the root of it all if you will spongebob and everyone else they have driver's licenses why do they mimic human behavior so much this we need to go back to the intro for this the island that we see that's a real island. You can go there. The island is Bikini Atoll in the Pacific Ocean. This island, if you aren't aware, was the site of a bunch of United States nuclear tests during the Cold War. And since Mr. Hillenberg is a marine biologist, and he obviously chose the name of this island for the name of his town, he must know the history behind it. Speculation. Mr. Steven Hillenberg could have deliberately made everybody in Spongebob a nuclear mutant. Now, we're not going to elaborate further into this. It's been talked to death on a whole bunch of other YouTube channels, like Blame It on Jorge and all that fun stuff. But it... Which lets us, you know, skepticize that Spongebob isn't a fantasy show, more of a science fiction show. Roll credits. All right. See ya.